I'm trying to think if there's any thing that rhymes well with the word theme. Ream. Oh, yeah. Steam. Seam. We're team. Coming apart at the seams to talk about <laughs> themes. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're ready to things to get steamy because the podcast is going themey. <laughs> What's up, Hannah? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We recently did a playtest with just the two of us of Questlandia 2. I remember it like it was yesterweek. It was yesterweek. And uh, this was the first time that we tested out some of the like main rules of the game. It was the first time that we've really gotten past kingdom and character creation to scenes. Right. Yeah. And it went pretty well. Yeah, for sure. So that was our last two podcast episodes, if people haven't listened. But one thing that kind of became apparent to us after we played through that game was that even though some of the mechanics were working, this version of the game wasn't capturing some of the themes that we really want it to be capturing. It's definitely worth trying to get clear on what themes we're hoping to see out of it. and how well it measured up. And also, you know, we just played two turns. There's time for things to change, but we also can have some idea of how the trajectory was headed. So were we on the path to hitting the notes that we want to hit? So we've written up some ideas about what exactly we want to encapsulate in a game of Questlandia, what stuff we want to make sure does get examined during play. And we're just going to read that list. So I hope you enjoyed this freeform part of the podcast. (laughs) Alphabetized and it rhymes. (laughs) So Evan, you had proposed replacing the word theme, which is very like high school English class with emotional core. No, no, not. (laughs) Which is very. Disagree. Pretentious. (laughs) (laughs) I I think what I was proposing was more pretentious than that. Uh, It's not that we replace the word theme. It's that we consider that perhaps there's a deeper level than themes. Mm. Themes are legitimate. It's a fine way to talk about things. It's maybe a little boring. Just going to throw out an idea. Boring is the wrong word. It's maybe a little... uh, Beneath us. A little scholarly. A little, you know, I am the observer looking in judging the themes of this work rather than I am the creator working outwards, creating this from, from the void. So one step closer to that void perhaps is the concept of an emotional core. The idea of a, a idea of the heart, a perspective of reality or relationship to the world that can be returned to again and again to sort of generate the, well, to generate the themes, to generate the content, to generate the whole thrust of it. You know, the the emotional core of good dog, bad zombie is that 
dogs love humans to a cosmic extent. <laughs> uh, what if we could make a game where you embody that? So what's the emotional core of Questlandia? And <laughs> I don't I don't have a, an exact answer there, but it does feel like it exists. It feels like there, when it comes down to even a discussion of like, what are the themes of Questlandia? When we throw something out, we're checking it against a feeling. Does that feel like Questlandia? We talk about themes like environmentalism, right? Something about caring about your environment. And I think that comes from a core of, of a certain kind of relationship with the world and connectedness of it. There's like a certain wonder and curiosity and feeling of interdependence with the world itself. When you're thinking about what you want in this game and you're checking it against your feelings, what, what, how would you describe those feelings? Like what's the, the feeling that tells you, yes, this should be a part of the game? You know, having played so many different versions of Questlandia now from, you know, our very first playtest of the first game to all of the games that we've playtested through kingdom and character creation in this one, I'm finding that the games that feel the best to me emotionally tend to have pretty heavy environmentalist, like people connecting to the natural world mm -hmm. themes and how like how we act on our natural world and what it how it responds in return. Some of the best games I feel are games that have had you know, like animal familiars or people riding on giant beasts mm -hmm. or psychic connections with the woodland fawns. <laughs> <laughs> those have been some of my favorite games. And I think that they, you know, that those are also the games that tend to have pretty heavy, like, I tend to really like those games. And I tend to also like some of the sort of uh, the way the emotional core trickles down to talking about like in this world where there is pollution that trickles from the top of the mountain where the wealthy live, how does that impact the people who live on the mountain below? Like where where mm -hmm. the environment starts to get into talking about issues of like, you know, how how our society is like socially stratified. Those have been some of my favorite games. I'm right there alongside you and to sort of expand on that social stratification aspect, some of my favorite games have been ones where we look deeply at the humanity of people living at these different layers where it feels like there's, you know, in Questlandia, it'll randomly throw the players into these roles up and down the ladder of societal power. And all of them will be asked the same best basic questions about their humanity. What do you want out of life? You know, are you sort of working with or against your society? Who are the people who you care about? And what kind of relationship do you have with them? And so it sort of starts from a place of labeling you based on your power level in society, but then dismantles it a little bit by trying to get at your 
personhood, you know, who who you are. And it starts to feel like, okay, this person's playing a king and I'm playing the banana merchant that's <laughs> by requirement in every game of Questlandia. Of course. Uh, and we don't feel that different. It doesn't feel like an enormous gulf. It feels like we're both people who are working on our two goals. Is there a moment that you remember from a game that we have played that embodies that like feeling? A moment that stands out? Um, In one of the early playtests of Questlandia 2, I felt like we were getting there. Uh, Sam was playing a powerful queen of a city who was going and repairing a wall. And the project that she was embarking on, her power had something to do with the events of that story. You know, instead of her doing this alone, it was with a crowd of people who would obey her order. Mm -hmm. But it felt like a simple goal of somebody who cares about, you know, maintaining this part of the city, who has a certain care and is going after it. And it could have been any one of us, actually, if that was our goal. And it would have looked a little different the way we went about it. But there's a simple humanity to the way that these characters behave. Yeah. So themes of environment, themes of feeling connected to it, caring about it, understanding it better and being rewarded for understanding it better. And the idea of the humanity and personhood of people across the different layers of society and we talked a lot about power is one way that society stratified. But in a lot of games, there's other kinds of stratification that have been talked about too. You know, like people who came from different kingdoms originally and are now living among each other. And even if they're all at sort of a similar level, they have their own differences and they all have their own humanity. Are there any other themes that you feel like you'd want to well, that you want to bring to bear on our playtest, that you want to say, like, this should be in the game. Yeah, you know, there's one that I actually don't think we even talked about in planning for this episode, but it's the idea of isolation versus connection. I've been thinking a lot, you know, if you, as you've talked about over the past month, your experiences playing VR chat <laughs> yeah, and connecting with people in this virtual world and just kind of like this theme this like of pervasive loneliness you know people wanting to reach out and find common ground with the other people in this virtual space and then i don't know i also watched this uh youtube video just last night uh this channel in a nutshell you know those videos it's like this british animated channel that tends to talk about somewhat depressing but kind of optimistic existential yeah they're they're brilliant <laughs> yeah uh so they'll talk about things like space elevators or why it's unlikely that we'll ever meet people from other planets and there was this one recently about loneliness and i was thinking about how you know one of the i feel like one of the parts of creating these games with a lot of sort of power people existing across different power structures is that they're often characters who within their like the role that they occupy in society feel like they need something more 
Like they feel mm. disconnected or they feel lonely. And when they end up coming together with this group of people that sort of, you know, connected through, I mean, I guess, you know, you talk about fire-forged friends. That's never quite how it felt in Questlandia. It more feels like, I don't know, like just a bunch of people coming together for this one particular moment in time. They're not necessarily friends, but like, you know, their world is falling apart and there's this one thing that they need to do together and they need to work together. But within that, there's a lot of connection. I, I don't know. I can't quite. Yeah, I haven't thought about that too much in those terms, but I do. I like it. And it's it was there for sure. There's this idea of that, you know, your social label puts you in a box and that box does generally physically even separate you from the other people in your world. And it puts up this barrier between them. And in Questlandia 1, you know, you choose what, you find out what part of society you're from. I'm from the the warrior guards. I'm from the royalty. And then it immediately says, okay, how do you know each other? What's your relationship? It immediately sort of sets up this difference between everybody and then knocks it down. It says, okay, how did you bridge that gap? Yeah. And that bridge isn't always uh, friendly. I mean, sometimes people are really kind of at odds with each other, but the game still kind of mashes them together. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm on board. So we have <laughs> these three three themes that we've mentioned. The idea of environmentalism, connection to the environment, caring about the creatures or plants or nature as a whole within it. We have a theme of uh, of humanity across groups. The idea of people in different layers of power or or whatever having their own goals being treated as human. And then we have the idea of isolation and connection. The idea of society is something that, even in its most innocent, separates people. And that the dissolution of a society, the downfall, might also afford the opportunity for connection. You with me? You're buying what I'm selling? I'm buying what you're selling. Okay. You can back me on Kickstarter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the So, with those themes in our pocket, let's take a look again at our playtest and what came up in it. Yeah. Kingdom Not. Kingdom Not. Knottingham. So, to super briefly catch up to speed anybody who skipped over the recorded playtest episodes i don't know why you would (laughs) (laughs) um to anybody clever enough to skip those here's what happened we made a new kingdom we used the symbol reader and it showed us a knot and we were like that's our kingdom it's a knot it's a knot uh and it was a kingdom of people who are forgetful people who have much shorter memories than we do in our own kingdom of the world. Massachusetts. (laughs) Compared to Massachusetts, people are pretty forgetful. And uh, (laughs) they were um, very concerned with justice in this world. The center of their kingdom was an enormous, uh, what's the word? 
sort of courthouse, Mm -hmm. an edifice. Kind of shaped like a tangled ball of yarn. And the people in that kingdom would would strove to untangle the reasons for injustice and try to set things right. And they had somewhat holistic ideas about that. They wanted to confront the root causes of harm Mm -hmm. and not just punish people who did harm. They were also the guardians of a enormous yawning void just outside the reach of the kingdom uh, that they presumed to be the end of the world, Mm -hmm. kept at bay for now, but they were the watchers of it. You know, maybe you don't want people with forgetful memories (laughs) watching over the end of the world, but... uh, We can't always choose our destiny. So, (laughs) in that kingdom, I played a judge who had an apocalyptic vision which led him to do questionable things as a judge and be cast out. And what was your character? I played Bartholomew. They were a city planner who had spent their life kind of organizing and designing the city in ways best uh, suited to maximize its justness (laughs) and fairness. Very noble. Very noble. Uh, And... I, well, we had something appeared from the void. Yeah. Let's call it a cat. A cat. A void cat. The beast from the end appeared from this void and it really shook things up. It sort of changed the course of both of our destinies. Bartholomew went after the cat, trying to map the cat around these hidden places of the city and... Your character, Quincy, followed the cat to the end of the void. Yeah, went or within the void. Or maybe to the beginning of the void, yeah. into the void. Uh, and we ended the game with Bartholomew having traveled through time. Yeah, being starting to, well, you were caught in a prison in the past of the city, and you escaped it by the end of your scene. Uh, so I followed this you know, space-time cat through time, and you followed this space-time cat into the void, and when you emerged from the void again, where this end-of-the-world expanse had been, there was now this giant towering mountain overlooking our uh, city that had never been there before. A little ominous. All right, so... uh, Before we we ask whether that encapsulated our uh, stated goals for theme, let's just talk about the themes that did come up, for sure, that were part of that game. I'll start. Uh, Memory was a theme. Mm -hmm. These people were forgetful, and there was a certain aspect of their society that we were starting to examine about what it's like when you can't trust your own memory, and when that when you're forced to rely on one another to reconstruct the past. Uh, another theme that came up at some point on the symbol reader, we rolled like a scale and yeah. we interpreted that as justice. And so justice became a big theme of this world. Another theme was the end of the world. You know, when we were just asking the game asked us to come up with some physical features of the world. We came up with this uh, mysterious void outside of our borders. 
and the idea that that would be the end of the world and that we could maybe stop it. Maybe it was our duty to stop it. Maybe we'd fail to. That was all a, that was clearly going to be a big theme that was examined. And I think it's interesting because, you know, the not came from our symbol reader. Justice came from our symbol reader. But I'm pretty sure that the end of the world, like the expanse and our issues with memory, both just came from question prompts. And those right. didn't consult the symbol reader. Yeah, definitely. Those were like world building prompts. Uh-huh. So again, uh, we had some say over those prompts. Like we wrote them. Mm-hmm. So those prompts are... Oh, they're Perhaps part of it. Funneling into a specific theme, but I just wanted to call that out. Okay, so that's the rundown on how the playtest went and the kind of themes that came up across it. And obviously, that's that list didn't include any of the things we mentioned in the yeah. first part as the <laughs> themes we were we were sort of striking towards. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean we did only play two scenes, so it does seem like with the appearance of like this mountain that there's something that we could have gotten at, like this sense of wonder mm-hmm. and newness of the environment and the characters coming together, maybe to travel together. But it didn't start out with, that wasn't the story it told from the beginning. I will say that, you know, the the environmental connection even though it didn't seem like it was coming to the forefront, there was a kind of connection to the landscape of the city that felt a little bit similar to me in tone, where it wasn't just viewing the city as uh, like man-made, you know, tyrants over nature, but like a civilization that was trying and striving to make the architecture of the city as sort of organic and fair as possible. And it's, It's interesting because I specifically remember also us sort of scaling back, like coming up with this really justice-focused society and then kind of us intentionally inserting a little more humanity, being like, okay, this this looks like it could lean pretty heavily dystopian, Mm -hmm. which is a problem we've had in the past. Like, let's let's make their justice sort of restorative justice-oriented. And within that, we talked about the city planning, but... I'm curious how much of that was the game and how much of that was just us being aware of some of the potential flaws in the game. Well, something we haven't spoken about yet, but it seems like we've got to talk about it, is that in addition to those themes that we talked about, we very much want themes unique to the table, unique to the world, unique to the the people who are around to be a part of the game. It's part of what makes Questlandia engaging. It's what I, I, the reason I have fond memories of it is that we all sat down and we brought the world into a direction of a theme that mattered to us, whatever that was. Like I sincerely am interested and care about the idea of restorative justice and steering it in that direction doesn't feel like oh, I gamed the system and forced Questlandia to be about something I care about. That's part of the design. That's the hope. Yeah, and I mean, in some ways, we've leaned even more heavily into that part of the design by removing Questlandia 1's pre-made character archetypes. Oh, definitely. You had all these, you had messenger, high nobility, queen, and 
now you invent them. That goes to the sort of the ambition of the kingdom too, and the troubles of it, which used to be pretty rigidly defined. And now they're all tied to the symbol reader, where there's this basic level of abstraction. It does make me think then that we have, a, I want to say a lot of work to do, but maybe maybe it's actually less work than I'm thinking, that we have now a responsibility to the new system to really make sure that the emotional core or the themes that we care about like permeate the design in all of these places that this is like to really be thinking like if there's so many places that the players can really run with this story, like where where have we written in these pieces? You know, it's like the symbol reader itself needs to be uh, like this tool of trees yeah, <laughs> and animals and like things that just make your mind go to the space of creature beasts and caring for your planet. And at the same time, I don't want to be so heavy handed about it that it ends up washing out the uniqueness of the worlds. And they all seem like, you know, slight variations on the exact same themes. Like, I'm okay with the unique themes that people want to explore being at the highest level mm -hmm. of what's being examined in a world. But within that world, I do always want you to think about the connection to nature and the environment. And I want you to think about the humanity of people across all the levels of society and the the urges to come together and the forces that split you apart. I mean, I think there is there's a lot of room to have both. I think about like there's so many games about war mm -hmm. and there's so many ways to talk about war. And Avatar The Last Airbender talks about war, mm -hmm. but in this very specific way. That's like, gosh, war really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It really tears people apart and ruins families and friendships and uh, makes people greedy for power to what end. Like we can make sure that that like we can make sure that there are certain certain types of stories that get told or where we say like, yeah, Questlandia may have wars, but like make them avatar wars and not Warhammer wars. I don't know enough about Warhammer to know. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> I just to pick something that had war in the title. I think we're from the play test. We can see some places where we might be missing that mark. One of them is that we both in setting up our characters chose one of the available traits independently we, we weren't consulting but we both chose the one cast out and as a result we both made characters that were sort of uh loners in society we, none of us had clear allies or people who are sort of in the same boat as us yeah and then during the gameplay there were like no npcs there was no there's nobody except us really us and the cat the beast from the end <laughs> um and you know we had one scene where uh there was a prison and all the guards were dead and it was nice it was dramatic 
but <laughs> the themes of you know interconnectedness and uh and the basic humanity of people are hard to examine if you're the only two people living in the society yeah and it when i look back on it it did kind of feel like a ghost town yeah yeah do you think that the us picking cast out was the main reason for that? Or do you think that there are other things that the game is missing or doing that's not pushing that connection enough? Um, I think both. And majority, it's it's something else that's missing. But cast out is simple. I think that's a mistake to have as one of the traits you can have. Obviously, it's spicy. It's a nice feeling. Like, oh, you're the cast out. But, uh, <laughs> the that's, lone ranger. But uh, a quality that inherently suggests that you are going to be separate from the other players and from the society pretty much takes you out of <laughs> a big part of the Questlandia experience, which is about how you yeah. relate to the society. And it's about how you relate to the other people in it who are coming from different places. It's really important. And cast out doesn't have to be abandoned totally, but I think it needs to be put in a more social context where it's not that you personally have been cast out, but perhaps you're part of a... Like a cast that's cast out. Right. You're part of a faction that's being suppressed or you're, you know, teenage punks, whatever. But you are, you're part of a sub-community, a subculture that is in the minority that has some of those same feelings, but uh, doesn't isolate you. So I think that would be a simple improvement. One thing that you had talked about in our conversation leading up to this episode that I thought was cool is, you know, the idea that right now the game, it's GMless, which makes it a little bit harder to manage NPCs. And the idea of dropping the term NPC entirely and basically when you have kind of having like owned and non-owned characters or like spotlighted and non-active characters and like that you can in a scene choose to shift perspective between your character like your pc and an npc and uh sort of pick up that npc for the rest of the scene for the rest of the game the Uh, one nice thing about getting away from NPC is that it feels so clinical. It always happens when you abbreviate like that. Uh, <laughs> um, but that said, I immediately suggested another clinical abbreviation of TPC, a temporary player <laughs> character. That it's uh, it's it's not uh, like this is somebody who's essentially different than the people you're playing as. It, it's quite the opposite. Right? When you take on the role of the guard who's blocking the gate you want to get through, you take them on fully, and that guard has their own goals, and they have a past and a history and a future, and you can make full decisions about who they are and what they want. And you could even potentially, I was just throwing this idea out, but you could att- and potentially completely swap at that point where you're arguing with the guard, the guard success- successfully argues your character away, and they don't get in. But then the guard's like, I wonder if I could check that out. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and then that's your new character arc. Yeah. And your old character fades or comes back later. 
One thing that I like is that as we're thinking more about the junk poets and how the junk poets impact like the framing of the game and the mechanics, that's a very junk poet type of thing. There's a there's a metaphor in D&D that's not super explicit, but the metaphor is the dungeon master. And when you say dungeon master, there's some roles that they take. And one of the main ones is I switch to be any NPC that's relevant to the story and I flesh them out as appropriate. But there's something also, there's a little bit of a mythology of it. When you talk about a dungeon master, you kind of imagine a hooded figure (laughs) surrounded by books, carrying arcane tools and lists and diagrams and maps. And they're... They, there's a character there. And when you're playing the dungeon master of a game, you're kind of playing that character. And there's lots of variations, different. Everybody's going to sort of bring their own, their own personality to that role. But it's actually quite useful for their ability to take on all these different roles and populate the world and make it feel alive. It's useful for them to be into this this personality of the person who owns it all. Some people really lean into the, like, I'm the enemy of the players and I'm bound by some rules, but within those rules, I'll strive to bring them down. Yeah. And that gives a color and and a, a purpose to the way that they play the NPCs of the world. And others will be like, I'm a, I'm more of an archeologist or something. Like I, I'm a historian. Mm-hmm. I know all these details and I'm going to reveal them. Or a therapist even, you know. I'm going to have my character sort of test people's emotions and beliefs. So by defining our junk poets and giving a, a sort of flavor to them, we might be able to set up a, a more purposeful and natural way for players to jump between different NPCs to take them on to perhaps even take them on permanently, but if not, to at least make them vibrant, active participants in the story. And that's also, that goes for individual NPCs, but also groups. To make like a whole guild of merchants make a group decision that will entangle the the players. Do you remember, there's this one part in the show Hunter Hunter, which is an anime that we both watched. Mm Mm-hmm. It's in the infamous Chimera Ant arc yeah. where the show was not, it's not a show that does a lot of perspective shifting generally. And there was this one episode where I think there's some side character who's introduced briefly who is some sort of criminal, uh, you know, trying to, he's involved in this kind of criminal plot and it shifts perspective totally to tell this person's entire tragic backstory of being like abused and abandoned as a child and what drove him to sort of this life on, you know, stealing and sort of working his way up from petty crime to higher in the ranks. And then I think it ends with this person being killed by the protagonist. And it's been a while. So, you know, this is a little fuzzy. But we have such a different, like, totally different relationship with this, you know, this, like, random thuggish guy 
because we got to watch him grow up. Giving the kind of flexibility that allows the that kind of tangent where we meet people that deeply seems wonderful. And it also needs to be it needs to be couched in such a way that we can do that without worrying, like, are we getting derailed? Yeah. Right? Because I remember feeling really derailed in that episode. <laughs> I was like, what the f- is going on? <laughs> so there's a lot to talk about and how to make that kind of mechanic real. But I think it's clear to me from the bit of play that we did that that's something that's missing from the game. That we don't currently have good tools for making NPCs, for making a living world, for handling jumping from your primary character to side characters. Yeah. Okay, so finding a really smooth way to make NPCs a living part of the game where they don't feel like NPCs. Right. Where they feel like they're connected to the emotional core. To make a population. Yeah. So that's one thing. Uh, The other thing is figuring out how to imbue the game with some of these, like, you know, people connected to nature, environmentalist themes that we've talked about. Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah. This is one where I don't feel like we're so far off the mark. Yeah. You know, I think in some games it would absolutely come up. We have a symbol reader. We rolled a knot as the foundation of the kingdom and we rolled a scale as one of the big ambitions or troubles. I forget. I think ambition. Their ambition was justice. That same symbol reader has flowers and trees and sky and mountains and forests. An ant, an apple, a seedling. Yeah. So, you know, luck of the draw, we could have just landed on it. Yeah. But we went a little bit better than luck of the draw. Um, So it's useful that we ended up with a game where the environment felt kind of absent. Like, I can't picture any plant, any animal, um, any living landscape around that kingdom. So how do we get at that, but without being overbearing? One possibility is to take a look at the inner symbols. The symbol reader has six symbols around the center. And then 36 around that. The six center ones we're using constantly. Those are what we refer to whenever we're thinking about our approach to trouble, um, or if we're just rolling for an idea, or if we're looking at consequences or troubles. Those each have currently three words underneath them that are sort of suggestions of what it might represent. The heart symbol has love, emotion, connection. Yeah. One thing we can do to just sort of nudge the game more to, to to make sure that we're considering the environment and the natural world during play is to look at those three words under each of those six central symbols and see if we can just tap them a little bit in the direction of considering the natural world. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like, you know, it's your pet animal. <laughs> but... You know, we have a moon right now. It has some ideas about secrets and spirit. Mm -hmm. We could add the sky in. The diamond could represent the earth. The heart could represent life. 
Yeah. The hourglass could represent growth. Yeah. The skull, well, the skull's kind of close. It has death and mortality. And, you know, just having those constant little taps where it's like, take a look again. You see the word life. Take a look again. We see the word earth. And you think about the earth and you think about the sky. And that might do a lot all on its own to, you know, just sort of direct our attention to the natural world that we're playing in. Yeah. And I guess one final way of doing that is to look again at our map prompt questions. Oh, yeah. That we use to, you know, come up with features and norms with an NPC with laws and customs and see how many of those connect back to the natural world. Yeah. My immediate memory is that there's maybe one that's like a natural feature and that most of the others are all like a gathering place mm-hmm. or a place of historic note or, you know, basically buildings, yeah. intentional constructions. Could have like a place people go to appreciate natural beauty. Yeah. Or, you know, a landmark mm-hmm. or a or a natural resource. Yeah. And those have the nice effect of even if those questions don't get asked, Seeing them in the list does wake you up a little bit to thinking about it. Yeah. Even if we don't say, what is a natural resource? We did read that question. It's in your mind now. We got gotcha. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finally, with these and all the themes we've mentioned that we're, that we are considering what the junk poets are going to be like, what their personalities are like. If there's a junk poet who's a gardener and that's the way they view the world and they have some special sort of powers or questions or perspectives they can bring, well, there you go. You know, (laughs) we'll be learning about the garden, the plants. Yeah, I mean, giving the junk poets the role of sort of the Lorax is really different than giving them the role of interdimensional mercenaries. Yeah. And there's room for different junk poets to act differently Mm -hmm. or even a single junk poet to sort of change their focus over the course of play as they go from world to world but to carry on some things so that's a i mean revisiting the junk poets really thinking about who they are what they're bringing to the table how they are and how they can be useful and seamless and not difficult to keep in your head as you play uh, sounds like fertile soil for another episode. Fertile soil. That's very <laughs> environmental of you. Thank you. I'm just planting seeds. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the things that we'll be working on for the next version of the game. If you have played Questlandia 1, I'm curious what themes felt like they mattered to you. Is that a fair question? Yeah. Okay. Just thought of that Good. question. Throw it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm curious what, you know, we've had this, as we've shifted from Q1 to Q2, and we're figuring out what this game should be, like, I want to know what people think the game is. That might be helpful. So let yeah. us know. Yeah. It's not like we have to believe them. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like what we were talking about earlier, where like, you know, in, in high school English class, your teacher would ask you what the themes of the book were. But like, you know, there was there was one right answer. Yeah. Yeah. You were like, it's about boats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, no, it's about the fragility of man's relationship to self. Oh, yeah. Hemingway, come was, on. I was going to say that It's next. never about boats. I was close. <laughs> Old man in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to get in touch with us, you can either email us at designdocpod at gmail.com. And don't feel shy. People do email us. You won't be the first. No. <laughs> it's really great to get emails, and we're getting better at answering them. Or if you want to tweet to us, you can do that at designdocpod on Twitter. Twitter, it's the best place to tweet. <laughs> the Design Doc intro outro theme was composed by our friend, musician Pat King. Thanks, Pat. The Design Doc Podcast is part of the OneShot Podcast Network. OneShot hosts other great shows like Asians Represent. Asians Represent celebrates Asian creators and diversity in the gaming community. Join the hosts Agatha Chang and Daniel Kwan as they discuss gaming, genre, and representation with their guests and occasionally argue with each other to the sound of Agatha's beloved Airhorn app. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very good podcast. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with an episode focused on the mysterious junk poets. Who are they? Why are they part of the game? What do they do? We have a week to figure that out and record an episode <laughs> about it. So we'll see you back here in two weeks. Thanks for listening, heroes. It's like themes, but a little bit more. We're here to discuss emotional core. (laughs) 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 Okay, should we talk about our normal...